Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, we have a show. It's all about controversy. Controversy? A lot of controversy this week. But we have a show. That's the least controversial thing that we have. I know. And the worst part about it is that we are going to walk into the final race of the season tied up on points. And we won't have a show next week because we'll be out of town. We won't even get to see the race live because we will be driving. Yeah. And? That's going to be rough. That's going to be one of those come home, throw the bags in the house, sit down and turn the TV on. Don't open up any social media. That's what's going to happen next next Sunday. Who do you think I'm going to do in the car? You are not. <gasps> Watch me. You are absolutely not going to spoil everything, especially since we don't have F1 TV. You can't stream it. I can't stream it, but I can read the lap by lap. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You want to watch it. I predict that in the last race of the season, Valtteri Bottas will take Max out in the first lap. I'm, you know, in a way, I've been kind of waiting for something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. The last, like, three or four races, I've been waiting for Valtteri to go, ah, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to take him out. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what it's really going to be is like um, Ricardo or Norris is going to take uh, Verstappen. No, I don't think that Because they drive in Mercedes engines. I don't think that would happen. Russell, you know, introduction to the team. Was that it? <laughs> he, he, he'll be lapped and that, that's what, yeah. Yeah, he'll be lapped. He'll get a blue flag. He'll, he'll, he'll take him out. So actual controversy. So for starters, as we all as we all know, this week was the week that we all raced as one except in Saudi Arabia. Exactly. And several of the drivers, as well as apparently Sky Sports, expressed their displeasure. Yes. In in their own special way. And and by the way, in ES- the most British way possible. Yeah. By the way, ESPN really don't appreciate you cutting Grand Prix Sunday short by close to an hour. Mm. That was not cool. Especially when we got word that there was a fairly significant crash during the F2 race that they were giving news and updates on on Grand Prix Sunday, all in the part that you decided not to air. Not cool. Well, I'm quite sure that there was some incredibly important American sport <clears throat> ball event that needed to be played. Yeah, it was like f- football sports center Sunday on the Ocho. Weren't they? That's the other thing. ESPN has like 14 channels. They couldn't have gone and put whatever stupid sports center show this was on on any one of the other 14 channels that they have. No. They had to cut short Grand Prix Sunday. Well, wasn't one of the intros, was it before qualifying or before Grand Prix Sunday, that it was some golf course that... Oh, no, no, that that was, the, the DVR was on NBC. Oh, okay. That, that well, was all that was. That had that... nothing to do with, with 
with ESPN. ESPN or anything else was when we turned on the TV, it was on NBC and NBC was showing golf. That's all that that was. Oh, okay. I just remember it was like the unrelated most sand trap heavy golf course I've seen ever. Yeah, that, that was totally unrelated. Okay. I wanted to blame ESPN for that too. I was happy to blame them for everything. No, that was NBC's. including the delay for extra slice on uh, after Bake Off for the final episode. That's ESPN's fault too. Okay, Sports Center. Yes. Anyway, so we're still not racing as one in Saudi Arabia. We still had a cut short Grand Prix Sunday. And what other controversy do you wish to discuss? Well, let's see. Sebastian Vettel, who, as we have mentioned many times this year has found his voice. Oh, he's now at the point of poking the bear. Um, very much poking the bear. I mean, he, he's been wearing rainbow shoes the last two races to the press conferences and, and things like that. Um, this week, however, he set up his own karting event under the hashtag Race for Women and invited seven or eight women to the track to race go-karts. Go I love it. In Saudi Arabia. I love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, wasn't it just a few years ago that Saudi women were able to get a driver's license? Yeah. So what he said was, obviously, there has been a lot of talk and thought about heading into the race here, the first time we race in Saudi Arabia. There are a lot of questions that have been asked, and I've asked myself. So I was thinking of what I can do. There has been so much attention on negative examples when it comes to shortcomings of certain countries in regards to maybe human rights and other things. So I really tried to think of the positives. I set up my own karting event today under the hashtag race for women. And I think a group of seven or eight women were on the track. We set up a nice event only for them. And I was trying to pass on some of my experiences in life and on the track to do something together to grow their confidence. I have to tell you, I love this. Yeah. I mean, it is almost as good as what I was really hoping one of the teams would do, which would have been to do a young driver test in free practice one for a woman driver. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, maybe the winner of the W series. I don't know. But wouldn't that have been really cool to like purposely put a woman on the track? Now, oh, yeah. I say that and then we saw the track and I wouldn't want her hurt. So, I well, okay. So here's the thing though, with the track. Before we even, and I'm not going to get too deep into it. Overall, you know, when the drivers are the only ones on the track and there's nobody else with them and they're driving solo, they're saying the track is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. It's that high speed. It's just challenging enough that for a driver, they find it to be exciting. Where we are seeing the problem is when there is more than one driver on the track. So they should have done this race on timed laps, a single driver on the track at a time? Possibly. We'll get to that because we're not talking about that part yet. Oh, that's a different controversy? Yes, that's much later. We've got so many other controversies to talk about. We're still on the first controversy. Okay. Stop jumping ahead. I, I'm being controversial. Yeah, don't. So Lewis Hamilton going into the weekend. Because he's never sparked controversy. Yeah. Um, he said that he believes that F1 is duty-bound to help raise awareness for certain issues that see with human rights in these countries that we are going to. Um, he stressed that he received a warm welcome from people on the ground, but admitted that he would not say he felt comfortable racing in the country. Mm. Um, 
he was asked whether Saudi Arabia's uh, place on the calendar opposed the We Races One message. And Lewis said, I can't pretend to be the most knowledgeable and have the deepest of understanding of someone that has grown up in the community here that is heavily affected by certain rules in the regime. Do I feel comfortable? I wouldn't say I do, but it's not my choice to be here. The sport has taken the choice to be here, and whether it's right or wrong, I think whilst we are here, again, I feel it is important to raise awareness. For example, in the last race in Qatar, you saw the helmet that I wore. I will wear that again here and in the next race because that is an issue. There is changes that needs to be made. And he wore a rainbow flag helmet. Mm-hmm. Um... He cited the the law that changed in 2018 that allowed women to drive. He said some of the women are still in prison from driving many, many years ago. There is a lot of change that needs to happen and our sport needs to do more. So Prince Khaled bin Sultan al-Faisal said, It's good to see people stand for what they believe. But at the same time, we have our culture and our traditions. We understand, and for someone with his background and with his culture, I totally understand why he does it. I think he should do what I think he should do what he do, whatever he supports, and think that he believes is suitable for him. We respect his opinion. We just don't want him to express it in our country. <laughs> he didn't really say that last sentence. It was implied. If he didn't have bodyguards, we'd throw him in jail. Again, implied. <laughs> well, okay, keep in mind, this was Khalid bin Sultan, not um, Mohammed bin Sultan, who was responsible for the kidnapping and murder of the Turkish journalist from, the, or the Egyptian, see, the Egyptian journalist that they took from the Turkish embassy... Okay, that's suddenly becoming like my wife's sister's brother's boyfriend's sibling's younger dog. I I, I can't. Let's follow just it. be clear: the Saudis have a really horrible record when it comes to human rights. I think that's a full stop sentence, mm-hmm. and begs all of the controversy that comes from a global sporting event putting a spotlight on it. And and not just a global. But also the fact that in terms of human rights, right now, the Saudis are some of the worst in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, they are right up there with the Russians and the Chinese. Which is really sad. But one of the things I thought was very <clears throat> interesting was during the grid walk, there is a young lady who is racing form- British Formula 3, I think. It's either Formula 3 or Touring Car. And again, this was Sky Sports thumbing their nose directly at the Saudis. Oh, there was. And Martin Brundle um, stopped and talked to her. I mean, she's well-spoken. Said she doesn't know what her her next steps are going to be, but this was her hometown. Mm -hmm. And, um, but she's she's racing in England. But yeah, they made it a point to highlight the fact that this was a Saudi Arabian woman who was driving race cars. Yes. And had been for a while. I don't know how long. They they mentioned when she started uh, driving, and she was fairly young. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, 
I I thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, Sky did a pretty interesting job of writing that line of mm-hmm. we have a statement and we're just not going to say it. We're going to imply it. Just remember, I can because I just did. <laughs> Martin Brundle. Hand because I just did. I believe he also threatened Kimmy a fine today. No, he didn't threaten Kimmy a fine. They made fun of Kimmy. Well, because he looked at because Kimmy went walking by, and we didn't hear the actual response. We we found out about it later. Kimmy went walking by, and Martin looked at him and said, "Kimmy, a quick word." And Kimmy said yes and kept going. <laughs> oh. So he gave Martin a quick word. It was yes. <laughs> that is very perfect from Kimmy. Yeah. So other news. Mercedes has a new sponsor. Yay. Um, so Mercedes has signed a deal with the building products and insulation manufacturer Kingspan. And the logos are... are Expected to appear on the side of the nose of the team's car. Okay. Now we get to the controversy. Because a sponsor's never controversial. It, well, not. It shouldn't be controversial, but it, especially for Americans, we're going. Okay, what, what's the problem here? Exactly. So this is where we have to go back to June of 2017. I don't have my wayback machine. Um. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what this is about. So Kingspan manufactured some of the external insulation and building cladding that was installed on the Grenfell Tower in London. Now, if you're an American, that name probably doesn't ring a bell, or if it does, you, it's kind of faint as to what it was, because it did get a little bit of coverage in the U.S., but not much. If you're in the UK, you know a lot about Grenfell and what happened there. So what happened was on June 14th, a fire broke out on the Grenfell Tower, which is was a 24-story tower. Um, Offices or uh, living? Res- residential. Okay. Um, it broke out in a freezer on the fourth floor. Um, the tower is located in North Kensington in West London. Spread rapidly up the building's exterior bringing fire and smoke to all of the residential floors that was specifically as a result of the cladding and external installation insulation that was installed on the building what it did was it created because there was an air gap between the cladding and the insulation and the actual structure of the building it created this stack effect Mm. that amplified and and, um, enhanced the severity and the heat of the fire. Ultimately, the entire building was engulfed. It took firefighters 60 hours to put out the fire. 72 people died uh, as a result of that. Um, 70 others were injured and 223 people escaped. It was the deadliest structural fire in the UK since 1988 and the worst UK residential fire since World War II. Okay. So... After that happened, obviously a lot of outcry, a lot of investigations, the Grenfell Tower inquiry began on September 14th of 2017 to investigate the causes of the fire and other related issues. Those findings were released in October 2019 and addressed the events of the night. 
It affirmed that the building's exterior did not comply with regulations and was the central reason why the fire spread and that the fire service were too late to advi in advising residents to evacuate. A second phase to investigate the broader causes began on the third anniversary in 2020. Kingspan manufactured some amount of those insulation and cladding panels. Okay. And one of the things that has come to light is that Kingspan knew that the panels that they had produced did not meet flammability requirements in the UK and continued to sell them. Okay. There's the problem. Yeah. So when this came out, the the group known as Grenfell United, which is the lobbying group on behalf of the survivors and the families of those who died in the Grenfell Tower, and they've been very active in pushing these investigations along and making changes and trying to get um, those responsible to be held responsible for, for the tragedy that occurred. When the deal was announced, Grenfell United kind of lost their crap. Oh. Yeah. Really, really ticked off over this idea that Kingspan is sponsoring Formula One. I would guess that part of that may be that there's some sort of open lawsuit um, and extra cash should probably not be sponsoring sports teams, but possibly going into some sort of class action suit. Yeah. Or um, whatever the UK version the, of that the, is. There, there's a couple of versions going on. The The other thing that, that does not help is that Lewis Hamilton in the past has spoken out in support of Grenfell United and the survivors of the tragedy. Which is totally on brand for him and mm -hmm. would be expected. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. So, so Lewis is trying to distance himself from this. Um, he said that this is not something that if I feel I have to speak of publicly, um, but explained that he had nothing to do with the team's finding assigning any of the sponsors with the exception of Tommy Hilfiger. He says, Tommy was the only one that I brought to the team. It was news to me when I heard the things that happened this week. I was very much aware and watching very closely all the families that were affected by what happened there. We know there's been a huge outcry and amazing amount of support from people from the community there. So yeah, as I said, this really doesn't have anything to do with me. I know Toto is sorting it. Unfortunately, my name is associated with it because it's put on that car but whether that remains the same we shall see um the uk government has stepped in mm. um yeah um the uk secretary of state for leveling up housing and communities michael gove you gotta love their titles in the uk i want to have a title that has the word leveling up uk secretary of state for leveling up housing and communities and Minister of Parliament, Michael Grove, um, uh, published a letter to Toto Wolf on Twitter. Well, it was published on Twitter in addition to sending it to, to Mercedes. The Grenfell bereaved survivors in wider community have been failed in the past by both the state and the private sector. They are right to feel deeply hurt and aggrieved by your decision to sign the sponsorship deal whilst the public inquiry continues. Um, 
Gove warned that the UK government could change advertising and sponsorship laws for sports like F1 in a wake of unease about this deal. Oh, my. He said the achievements of Mercedes and Sir Lewis Hamilton in recent years represent a British success story of which we are all proud. I hope you will reconsider this commercial partnership, which threatens to undermine all the good work the company and the sport have done. Mm. So Total Wolf has um, stated that he will meet with representatives from Grenfell United to discuss this with them and has acknowledged um, that they would be willing to reconsider this deal. Very interesting. Very interesting. But, yeah, kind of interesting. So, our, our next, and I don't know how controversial, this is unusual. Okay. I don't know if this, I would necessarily go with controversial so much as unusual. Word broke this week that Dimitri Mazepin, not to be confused with Nikita Mazepin, who who um, is the minor Mazepin, consistently in last place, very familiar with blue flags and struggles to keep his car in the right direction. Two different people. Dimitri's yeah. Dimitri's dad, Nikita's son, probably just as bad a driver. But anyway, you um, have no idea if Dimitri's as bad a driver. And Dimitri is at least smart enough not to drive an F1 car. True. Anyway, so Dimitri has approached Haas um, expressing concerns going into 2023 and all the pressures that are happening um, on family life and whatever with the 23 race calendar and has proposed a incentive program for Haas team personnel that he would pay for. Mm. So, and he, he's made it clear, this is, he's not proposing a change in the sponsorship deal. But what he is proposing is essentially retention bonuses for Haas personnel that he would pay for. So he's going to cut a check to <clears throat> the Haas personnel that need retention bonuses. Essentially. In, in, in order to... to incentivize them to remain with the team through 2023. Wow. Um, so I need to call Gene and make sure that I'm in the, the payroll system for Haas. Well, Haas has not agreed to it yet. They said that they're looking at it. Because this is, this is very unusual. No, We have not heard of a team sponsor because that's essentially what Dimitri is because it's your Cali who, who's mm-hmm. the the sponsor and he owns your Cali but we've never heard of a team sponsor paying any kind of bonus to team personnel before true but that's why if I negotiate with Gene now I could get in the payroll system depends on when they go and set the start date Keep that in mind, too. But I'm willing to stay <clears throat> on staff through 23. I should get a retention bonus. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to be retained first, but... Yeah. So, you know, there, there's no shortage of stuff we can criticize the Mazepin family for. 
This one, I don't think we can criticize him for. I think this is in. I, now, we don't know if it's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because, again, we've never, nobody in Formula One has ever heard of a sponsor stepping up and saying that they would do something like this. So it's it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I, I, I think he's right that there is a valid concern here. But, yeah. Interesting. So during um, during qualifying, a lot of talk about an incident in free practice three involving Lewis Hamilton and uh, Nikita Mazepin. Yes. Um, it was an impeding incident. Uh, Mazepin was on a fast lap. Lewis was not. And Mazepin came upon him. And apparently if it wasn't for the fact that Mazepin backed out and backed out quickly, it could have been a fairly fairly significant incident. Yeah. Um, Which, okay, let's just take full stop there for a second. Nikita, not exactly known for quick thinking or driving his car in the right direction. Gotta give him, like, credit for backing out quickly. Yeah, and, you know, as much as I don't want it and I don't plan on, on jumping too far ahead, but the second restart... As much as, yes, that was Nikita running into George Russell. I'm, I'm hard to really find Nikita at fault for that. Mm-hmm. I, I, normally I would, but given the entire circumstances that occurred and what was going on there, it's it's really hard to find him at fault for that incident. I, I, I'm, you know, in our list of controversies, this may be the most controversial statement you have made in well, support of Nikita Mazepin. What, what, what I was going to say is, while yes, I may be speaking positively about Nikita, let's not forget that when he finishes races, he is always last. So yes, I may not find fault with him for running into George Russell this afternoon, but he still sucks. <laughs> okay. <sighs> I'm the not witch. changing that position. The- all is right with the world again. I was a little concerned. But anyway, back to the free practice three incident. Okay. So, yes, Lewis got called up to the stewards. He got fined for it. Um, the team also got... Actually... I was going to say the team got the fined. The team got fined. Lewis got... Um, a reprimand. A reprimand for it. Um, and Lewis apologized to Nikita for it. Mm-hmm. Nikita's response... Whoa, Lewis Hamilton knows who I am. <laughs> well, it's really hard for Lewis to see who's in the very back of the grid. I mean, it's really far behind him. So what Nikita said. Yes. He said, it wasn't a big deal from my side. He said he felt sorry for, he is in Lewis, felt very sorry for what happened. He said it wasn't the best job done from their side. It's really nice to see the experienced and older generation really paying attention to these things. In F2, you might never get a driver thinking about it. Where in F1, the seven-time world champion is. So that's really kind from him. Lewis knows my name. I'm sure he shook Lewis's hand and won't wash it for a while. 
He said, I really like Lewis, and I wish him all the best that I can in his title fight. I wouldn't want him to be penalized for something that was together with me. I'm in my first year in Formula One. He was probably focusing on his steering wheel adjusters and thinking how to find a bit of lap time for qualifying. If the cost was for me not to complete one of my laps in FP3, so be it. Wow. I mean, he knows my name. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't know if Nikita could kiss butt any harder. <laughs> wow. <coughs> Maybe he's hoping for like pointers. Yeah. Or an invite to one of the special dinners that will start happening. If oh, they ever... there you go. Yeah. The, the bowling Although, events that Lewis well, used to create. Yeah, but Lewis... So... Remember, those were in Japan. They were always in Japan, and they were just for Mercedes team personnel. The dinner you're thinking of only happened one time in China. Oh, was it the China? And then they went to an yeah. Italian restaurant. Yeah, all, all, all the drivers went to an Italian restaurant in China. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that seems to be a thing with Formula One. No matter where they go, where's the Italian restaurant? Well, it's probably because they're carb loading, and pasta is the <laughs> easiest thing to carb load. Yeah. I don't know. Alrighty. So, we had a race. Barely. Okay, can we just talk about this track for a second? No. Okay. Because the, the comments about the track are after everything else. Okay, so we had a race. Well, and, and that's the thing. And, and I think we should probably do the math. Because... <laughs> Did we hit the 50% point of laps behind either a safety car or a virtual safety car? I don't think we quite hit that. Because it sure seemed like it. I don't think we quite hit that point. I, I would be very interested in how this ranks for the number of laps behind, under a safety car condition of some sort. Because I don't recall this many safety cars. And, I, and I'm lumping the virtual safety car in there. And, and again, I think this, this race helped prove why virtual safety car is terrible. I don't like the virtual safety car. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because okay. I might be. And I don't remember the lap count, so I'm not even going to try to do the math. Well, it's 50 laps total. No, I know that. But oh, okay. The lap counts under the different things. Yeah. Um, we only had the actual safety car come out one time, correct? Um, no, came out twice. Before each before, of the red before flags. each of the red flags. Okay. But we had two red flags and a bunch of virtual safety cars. And I think officially, for the second red flag, I'm not entirely sure that. This, well, actually, the safety car comes in before the the restart, so it doesn't continue. So it doesn't complete that formation lap, does it? Only the medical car completes the lap. Because well, I was going to say, I'm not sure the safety car had made it all the way around before the incident with that. First, but no, the safety car would have come in because it came in before the start. It was the medical car that that, that trails the pack? Correct. Um, and keep in mind, they all formed up on the grid for the standing restart without a safety car. 
Right. And that, well, right. well, the safety car leads them around for that formation. But then they had to figure out what slots they were in because that was negotiated. Well, that wasn't the bigger problem there. I mean, <laughs> let's start with the fact that apparently there's a lack of understanding of what that lap is cr- coming out of the pit lane in a red flag period. There's that. Is it a formation lap? Because, I mean, or, it, it can only be one of two things. It can either be a formation lap or a lap behind the safety car. And, and I think that's one of the questions because, while yes, because it, it's not a rolling restart, they did a standing restart, does that count as a formation lap? And if it does or doesn't, was Lewis too far back? Now, it seems like the the stewards have decided that there was no issue with how far Lewis was back, no matter how much Red Bull wants to yell about. They did. And the reason that they used it, they the reason the stewards said was whichever version of that, mm-hmm. there's one of the versions that has a 10... Uh, 10 car, car length. 10, 10 car length requirement, and the other version does not. And they said... and I, It I don't appears have to, to be. I do not have which is which, but it appears that they declared that that lap was the one that did not have the distance requirement. We think. Or at the very least, they said they weren't investigating it. Yeah. Shut up. And I think they actually said to Christian Horner, would you stop whining now? It would have been nice if they did, but um, they didn't. No, I'm. I, it, was, it was implied. Um, but let's see. Well, actually, before we even get to all of... The penalties. Well, there were a couple of penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them heaped on Max due to driving standards. He deserved them. Well, Red Bull's reaction, Helmet Marco, mm-hmm. was quite honestly typical Red Bull. I was going to say it was the most Marco thing. FIA is picking on me. Stop picking on us. Marco's point of view is Red Bull can do no wrong even when they're wrong. And everybody else should be getting penalties. And if Red Bull ever gets a penalty, it's it's wrong. They shouldn't deserve it. He says that Red Bull is not treated the same as Mercedes by the FIA stewards. Mm. and, And this was... Um, in particular, he was initially reacting to the investigate in advance of the investigation around that just absolutely bizarre incident between Lewis and Max, where Lewis ended up rear-ending Max. Mm-hmm. He said, "Our engineers are preparing that we can prove Max was constant with his braking. He didn't brake test like Hamilton said." Then he crashed into our car, Hamilton. He unfortunately put two cuts in the rear tire. That was so severe that we couldn't attack anymore. We had to take speed out. That was the one thing. The next thing was at the second start, Hamilton was more than 10 car lengths behind. Sebastian Vettel got penalized in Budapest when he did it. But with this maneuver, Hamilton was preparing his tire better for the start. 
Then he pushed Max off, no reaction. So we feel we are not treated the same. So I, I think to some extent, Helmet is accurate in that they haven't been treated the same. And I say that from the perspective of look at what happened in Brazil and Max was in the wrong Mm -hmm. and you didn't get penalized for it. And look what happened in Silverstone and you scream bloody murder about how bad of a driver Lewis was and he got penalized for it before you screamed about how bad of a driver Lewis was. So, yeah, maybe maybe Mercedes does get treated differently than you do. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are the lesser of that. I think, you know, sometimes you come out on top and sometimes you don't. And this was not your this was not your week. Um you know, we've complained. <clears throat> Controversy, notice, <laughs> mm-hmm. Controversy trigger. Um we've complained that the rules are applied subjectively all season long. Mm-hmm. And we've complained Okay, I've personally complained when they are applied to the detriment of Lewis, and I disagree with it. Um, and and I have on many occasions turned around and told you, quit whining. Correct. Um, sometimes on the show. Mm-hmm. A lot of times not on the show. And I will, when it makes sense, side with that's an unfair position against Max or against any of the other drivers. It's not always Lewis is 100% right. And, and Mercedes is the 100%. It, it is not that. And I freely admit I have bias. I admit that. But <clears throat> I will say that this year particularly, I think Lewis has been on the short end of the steward stick more often than he deserved. And like I said, some weeks... You're in the favor zone and some weeks you're not. And I have to believe at the end of the season, it all balances out. Well, there, there's the other thing that, and, and I think I've made it clear because I, I'm more than willing to take Lewis to task when he does it. I have very little tolerance for drivers or teams to play the victim card like this. Yeah. I know. And this is, this is, I mean, let's be totally honest here. This is a common tactic from Red Bull when they're on the back foot. This, and, and it's not unique to just now. They did it earlier in the season. They've done it in previous years as well. They did it in the Sebastian Vettel years. When they're on the back foot, they are very quick to turn around and stand up and go, FIA's picking on us. Think bigger than your team. Well, that's different. That was around the engines and commercial right. agreements, but, but no, that's... no. But the same. It's the same DNA. It is. If we're winning, if it's mm-hmm. in our favor, then we're good with it. If it's not in our favor, or if we think that it's going to affect us negatively, oh well, no, no. We're we're being treated unfair. 
you got to think bigger than you got to think bigger and broader than that. But, but that's not the mindset at Red Bull. It hasn't been the mindset at Red Bull. And to be quite honest with you, it's part of the reason why they like Max Verstappen so well. Oh yeah, because he fits totally into he that. He will push the limits as far as, and and that's a lot of what we saw. You know, and 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 Max can complain about the penalties all he wants. He's wrong. The reality is, and and. It's been, and, and honestly, and I think we mentioned this last show, nobody should be surprised by what we are seeing from Max right now. No. Because if you look at Max's history since he has been in Formula One going all the way back to his Toro Rosso days, how many complaints did we hear about how aggressively Max drove and Max moving and making repeated moves in the braking zone and Max doing all of these other things? And how many times did we hear that Charlie Whiting would make statements in the driver's briefings about driving standards that were specifically targeted at Max Verstappen? Yep. Yes, this year has been a year that the, the first half of the year, one of his cleanest years in driving when it comes to standards-wise. But now the red, now that the race is close, now that there's a possibility and that red mist is descended, we are seeing Max Verstappen be Max Verstappen. Exactly. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. And you know something? We talked all, all season long about the psychological warfare that's going mm-hmm. on. And there was... So you laugh about me reading the lap to, by lap. But there was a, a... Pete... I think it was Pete Bonington uh, radioed Lewis during <clears throat> one of the red, the red flag where he was further back mm-hmm. and said something about, is there anything that we can do? What are the strategies? And um, there was a message that went back to Lewis that basically said, put a lot of pressure on Max and oh, yeah. pressure him into a mistake. Mm-hmm. And that's that was that's what you got to do because that's where we are. It's pressure Max and Max makes mistakes that way because he will get super aggressive. And he we love drivers riding the edge. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And one of the things that I like about Max is that he does push the edge, but the edge bites him back quite a bit, and he's got to get okay with that. Well, it is, but but it also is recognizing that when you're pushing the edge to the level that he does, you've got to be willing to take responsibility mm-hmm. when you gamble and it doesn't pay off. Exactly. And that's the thing that he doesn't do. Instead, he just gets more belligerent and he gets more arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised that he's been this aggressive. And, and you know, let's also acknowledge that the reason why he's got a fighting chance of winning the title this year is because of how aggressive he drives. Exactly. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the attitude that goes along with it and yeah i think i think the difference that we see here and i mean i'm all for rivalries and controversial rivalries and things like that i think one of the things that we see here is a difference in personality when lewis is on top we see a a response to the team the team did well for me. 
Um, I was supported by the team. Thank you for the team. When Max is on top, we hear, I'm awesome. And it's, it's I there, think that's, there is that. There, the arrogance that comes through, I think is part of the dichotomy. I think it feeds the rivalry because, you know, Matt, both are aggressive drivers. Both ride the limit yeah. in a lot of very, very specific ways. And they're both incredibly good drivers. But I think some of the personality difference and why people are fans of Verstappen versus fans of Lewis or Lewis's fans versus Verstappen's fans is I almost think that if you like Lewis, you you like his, there, there's a statesmanship to him that comes across. And some of that's 27 years in the sport. Some of that is being around it to acknowledge the team and not being so young. I don't know if younger Lewis was more arrogant or not. So, so from what I have read, Lewis has not been... He, he's always tried to play the game. He's not always been as adept at it. So Maturity the, helped. The, his first year in Formula One, when there was the big controversy between him and Alonso and the title race was so close um Lewis apparently was extremely effective at alienating McLaren Mm. um they did not appreciate the things that Lewis was saying to the press they didn't appreciate how Lewis was acting around the team um and in a lot of ways um the things that Lewis was saying to compliment the team, many in the team thought were, were phony mm. and alienated a lot of the team. Something changed in the offseason so that the following year, Lewis turned it around and had the team rallying behind him. But that first year, he didn't play the game well. Well, I got to give him credit for for learning mm-hmm. and adapting. Um, but I just think that some of... <clears throat> The fan base, I think some of what you see is that you're drawn to one of the person. It's it's a it's almost a conflict of personalities. Yeah. But, you know, let's also be completely fair here. When Lewis is on top and all of a sudden he gets a string of decisions that go against him. He is super fast to pull to play that victim card, too. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, they're just trying to hold me back, and they've been doing it my whole career. And he 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 can be just as bad and just as whiny, and I have just as little tolerance for it. Oh, and I'm we'll glad call you're him out for it too. I'm glad you're a better human than I am. We'll call him out on it too. What's our next controversy? So, well, we're we're still talking about Max and his driving standards, and you know it was. I've never seen, we've never heard of anything like this before. Now, we don't know if it's actually happened because, you know, this is the first year that we've heard the conversations between the teams and the race director. Mm-hmm. But we also don't know if there's been a situation like this, like we saw in the first safety car restart, where just before the safety car comes out, there's some passing that happens on the limits of the track. And as a result, somebody makes two passes, two cars um, to move up the grid and 
positions get juggled and how do you go and, and reset things and all of that. And there was like negotiating going on. Yeah. Christian Horner likened it to being in the souk <laughs> and, and, and the haggling that was going to happen. Well, this is the deal I'm going to offer you. You can take the two places or you can, but if you don't want to do this, I'm going to go talk to the marshals and, you know, or, or I'm going to go stewards. talk to the stewards and the stewards, they might give you 10 seconds or a stop go. So really you're better off doing this. And yeah, <laughs> it was haggling. It was really haggling. Well, where's Lewis going to be? And is that going to put Ocon here? And how do we, yeah, it was, it was, it was we're still going to be. We're still. We're, we'll take it if we can still start in front of Lewis. No, I. I I'm not offering you starting in yeah. front of Lewis. So you're going to be behind Lewis. <laughs> and otherwise, I'm going to go to the stewards. And you need to think about that mm-hmm. very carefully. <laughs> but you know, it, it was awfully telling that we saw that move happen. Not 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 the negotiating part, but the attempt to pass at that corner and run off the track and gain a position we saw it twice from max Mm -hmm. and that's the thing if the fia doesn't crack down on the behavior and they didn't in brazil max is going to keep trying it exactly and the other drivers are going to keep trying it too as long as they can get away with it they're going to let it happen now this time Somebody got to Red Bull and told them that, yeah, you know, they didn't allow it the first time. They're not going to really allow it the second time. You need to give that position back. And we saw a really bizarre incident. It was very it, it was very weird. So it was after that second restart and the pass that once again happened off the track with Max trying to take a corner that wasn't his because Lewis was ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And gain the position off the track and the team telling him you need to give the position back. We see Max all of a sudden on the straight slow down drastically. Yeah. I mean, it it was weird. And if it wasn't for the... And, and I think at the same time that I said, what the hell is Max doing? Because we saw him slow down so much was when we heard the radio call that you've got to give the position back to Lewis. Mm-hmm. Mercedes somehow we're in, in this combination didn't have a chance to tell Lewis that Max was going to give the position back or, but Lewis was following Max close and it's hard to tell what the heck was going on there that Lewis didn't see that as a potential opening to begin with well I thought we figure that they told us after the race what really was happening now yes the team didn't tell, wasn't able to tell Lewis fast enough that Max was going to give the place back. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis, when the radio message came in, was right when that impact happened. Yeah, and we know that the radio messages are delayed; that they come to mm-hmm. us. But it, it was they. We've Mercedes, gotten a confirmation. Mercedes radioed back to FIA <clears throat> and said, "You didn't even give us. They didn't give us a chance to tell the driver at all." Mm-hmm. But so. I don't remember. It's the DRS detection zone that was right in front of well, Max. We'll, we'll okay. talk about that because that whole incident ended up, well, it, it, it got in, sent to the stewards for investigation after the race. Max got a five-second penalty for the earlier pass off the track, the one that he was supposed to give up the position. So, yes, he was double penalized. And the reason why I think they elected to do it 
is because ultimately, even though they, they finally gave the position back, because of that whole confusion with the collision and all of the other stuff, he kind of did gain an advantage for a stretch. And the fact that he did it not once but twice was probably the other reason why they handed him the penalty for it. Now, the incident that occurred from the collision was referred to the stewards. The stewards ultimately handed down a 10-second penalty. To Max. To Max. So let me read. I actually have the report from the race director and the steward's decision. Because Michael told us that it was our fault. Yes, it was our fault. We wanted more detail. So now we have more detail. So we are sharing with you the detail that Michael says is our fault. Okay. Okay. So, stewards, having received a report from the race director, summons documents 39 and 40 and heard from the drivers and team representatives have considered the following matter and determined the following. Driver number 33, Max Verstappen. Competitor, Red Bull Racing Honda. Time, 22-19, session race. Fact, car 33 braked in a manner which caused a collision with car 44 in turn 26. Offense, breach of Article 2E, Chapter 4, Appendix L of the FIA International Sporting Code. I have that memorized. I was thinking about getting it tattooed on on my thigh. I'd rather you didn't. (laughs) Decision. 10-second time penalty imposed after the race. 10 seconds added to elapsed race time. Two penalty points, total of seven for the 12-month period. Reason. The stewards heard from the driver of car 33, Max Verstappen, the driver of car 44, Lewis Hamilton, and team representative reviewed the video and telemetry evidence and determined that the driver of car 33 was predominantly at fault. At turn 21, the driver of car 33 was given the instruction to give back a position to car 44 and was told by the team to do so strategically. Car 33 slowed significantly at turn 26. However, it was obvious that neither driver wanted to take the lead prior to DRS detection line 3. The driver of car 33 stated he was wondering why car 44 had not overtaken, and the driver of car 44 stated that, not having been aware at that stage that car 33 was giving the position back, was unaware of the reason car 33 was slowing. In in deciding to penalize the driver of car 33, the key point for the stewards was that the driver of car 33 then braked suddenly and significantly, resulting in a 2.4G deceleration. Whilst accepting that the driver of car 44 could have overtaken car 33 when that car first slowed, we understand why he and the driver of car 33 did not wish to be the first to cross the DRS. However, the sudden braking by the driver of car 33 was determined by the stewards to be erratic and hence the predominant cause of the collision and hence the standard penalty of 10 seconds for this type of incident is imposed. Competitors are reminded that they have a right to appeal certain decisions of the stewards in accordance with Article 15 of the FIA International Sporting Code and Chapter 4 of the FIA Judicial and Disciplinary Rules within the applicable time limits. So, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that it's been raining all day and it's the temperature has been right around freezing, we have a car that has the ability on the display to show G-forces. Okay. And 
if it wasn't for the fact that the roads are wet and possibly icy, I would have gone out to see what it would have taken to reproduce 2.4 G's of deceleration. Okay. You, you sigh. Mm-hmm. But the real question is, and, and, and this is why I would have done it, how significant of a slowdown is that? Is that just slightly, de- you know, taking your foot off the accelerator and letting things just kind of drag, slow down a little bit? Or was that a, a short stop? And I don't know truly what that equates to a 2.4 G. That's why I would have done it. Okay, but here's my question because I remember high school physics and I have twice the weight of gravity. Yeah. The pull of gravity. I get that. No, no, no. You're not you're not tracking. So okay. don't don't predict where I'm going with this one. Okay. Um, and I'm pretty sure that even though he's not a physical engineer, I will bet you that Phil will tell me that my math is probably wrong. It is. However, if I remember about the deceleration formulas speed has a factor to it so think about it this the difference and the deceleration from 100 miles an hour to 50 miles an hour but could be very very different than 50 to zero that but that's Still why we're 50 not, mile an hour difference but that's not what that, that's why we're not talking about speed we're talking about the G forces, the, the G far, forces so in the that's deceleration. Where I'm, that's where I'm going for if you are at 100 miles an hour, there will likely be more G forces of deceleration with a softer foot brake. You know. But, but 2.4 is still 2.4 G. Right. And, and, and how, you know, what does that feel like and is that noticeable and does the car come to a quick stop or does it come to a slow stop? And I don't know. I'm just, I'm wondering if trying to get 2.4 G at 20 miles an hour is still, I mean, yes, the G will feel the same, but will it be a shorter stop versus what you would get at 100 miles an hour? That's that's my question. Yes, it would be a shorter stop, but it's also how noticeable would that be? Okay. Doesn't matter. The roads are icy. I can't test it. And, and, And I, for one, am happy about that. Anyway, um, I was going to have you be in the front seat and watch the monitor while I did it. Oh, gee. Well, it wouldn't be safe for me to go and watch the monitor as I'm slamming on the brakes. I'd be, I, you know, I, somebody's got to stay in control of the car. Okay. I would be watching the Wait road. a minute. You would be observing on the, on the monitor. Okay, but wait a minute. We have determined years ago that well, I am not a good safety monitor. That's why you're not monitoring safety. I would be watching where we were going from a safety perspective. But we determined a long time ago that my monitoring skills are not safe for you. As I abandoned you on the roof. Well, yeah, there was that because you went to go looking at the birds. They were a lot more interesting than you on the roof. You weren't going anywhere. Yeah. So. Christian Horner. Did he open his mouth? He said, I feel like today the sport missed Charlie Whiting. I'm sorry to say, but the experience that he had, it's obviously very frustrating. And the entire Red Bull garage was standing around him going, Ooh, burn! 
<laughs> clipping much. Yeah. Well. Um, and uh, Michael Mossy called Christian Horner and said, what did we tell you last week about criticizing people? <laughs> no, 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 no. Michael Mossy said, Christian, I knew Charlie Whiting. <laughs> you don't know Charlie Whiting. You are no Charlie Whiting. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, Christian wasn't particular. And shocking. Christian wasn't happy because Red Bull didn't get away with it. But to, to be fully honest with you, again, I don't think today was Michael Massey's finest hour. And and I'm not criticizing the the red flag periods. And I'm especially not criticizing the decision around the first red... Unlike what Lewis said, I'm not criticizing the, that first red flag. Um, if anything, I said to you as soon as it happened, they're probably going to red flag it. I don't know why Mercedes is coming in. Mm-hmm. Be, because... You know, talking about the design of this track and the way this worked and what it takes to recover cars at this track, everyone said going into the weekend, if there's an incident, it's probably going to cause a red flag. So if you were going to roll the dice, you had to assume that they were going to red flag the race. Exactly. I mean, I agree with you. And now if you want to talk about the design of the track, because the design of the track contributed to the problems this weekend. So I realize that some of the things that I didn't like about this track may be in partial spots in other tracks around the world. But really and truly, I had a a significant issue with the amount of corners that you cannot see around, the potential of coming up behind somebody pretty darn fast, and the high speeds that are in involved here I have a problem with that I think it contributes to some of the safety issues now I know you have a different point of view no actually what I think is that what has made this track unique is what has caused all of the things that you think are a problem and well not you think that were a problem for this race so Yes, we see we have races like Monaco and Singapore and some of these others, um, other street races that have a lot of blind corners. Not all blind corners, but have a lot of blind corners. The big difference and the thing that is unique about this race compared to others is that the speeds were significantly higher this weekend with those blind corners. The the statistic I saw was that 70% of this lap was expected to be taken at full throttle with blind corners and a narrow track with nowhere for drivers to go when something happens. So I have the belief that you either get blind corners or you get speed. Having both is a recipe for not good. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think, the big issue. And also, well, actually, no, that, that is the big issue. Because if you look at Monaco, and, and Monaco is, is very similar in that there's, what, two places total that there's a runoff? 
you've got coming out of the tunnel and over at um not the hairpin um oh where max put it into the wall across oh, from the, the, pit the lane. escape road there's the an escape, chapel there's an escape road because that's also where nico rosberg parked it during qualifying so that he could steal qualifying mm-hmm. from lewis there, there, the there's a small handful of places that a driver can bail out mm-hmm. in monaco and what we clearly saw and, and yeah you could see in the overhead there were one or two places that drivers could bail out here. They weren't anywhere that drivers actually needed to bail out. I mean, that that's the thing you see over in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan has that really long straight where they get some really high speeds and they've got that bailout road. And we've seen drivers have to use that on a lot of occasions. Where drivers were getting in trouble here at this track, there was no bailout roads available to them. So that makes you wonder, one, did they properly design the track to do that? But the other is, again, you, you look at the track and the fact that it is a narrow track with walls on close, uh, very close to the edge of the track. If something happens, like we saw on more than one occasion, when, when that happens, there's nowhere for drivers to go. There's no way for drivers to avoid getting collected in, in whatever has occurred in front of them or causing a bigger issue behind them. And that's a problem. And I agree with you. Uh, the lack of bailout, the lack of a, a spot for somebody to go if you uh, get caught up in something is a real significant problem. One of the other things and while not a cause of a safety issue, but one of the other things that I would argue, not just the speed makes it different than Monaco, but if you look at the in-car in Monaco mm-hmm. versus the in-car in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia felt like you were driving through a canyon. And there are a lot, there are places that the track is narrow in Monaco, but you do not feel like you are literally driving between two walls other than know. the tunnel. I don't but, know because when I watch the in-car in Monaco, on, and, and especially when I've played it in the video game, it's okay. kind of terrifying. <laughs> okay. You, it's kind of terrifying. You playing it in the video game is terrifying because you're a crappy driver. But that's that's just the way that is. No, there is more open space. You can actually see the cars can see other cars. I there's think the so difference much is, of this is there's more. The, those runs may be longer in Monaco. That may be what it is. All I know is I felt like so little of the track. Did you get the impression that they could see the cars that were even around them? Because it was like, turn, 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 turn. Drive really, really fast. Turn, 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 turn. It, they're, they're like right on top of each other. And we've got twisty tracks that just don't feel as confined. And I, I don't even necessarily have a problem with them being... Be, because of the fact that, you know, we, we want to feel that that feeling... We want to see that feeling of speed. We want to feel that perception of risk and being on the edge. And... Let's be honest with you. When you're watching um, France with its wide open spaces, <laughs> as far as the eye can see, 
you don't feel that at all. And I, I think the approach that they should be taking around this personally, and again, not a track designer, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, is they need to look at the outside of a lot of these turns. I'm okay with the insides being blind. It adds peril, it adds concern, it, it, it adds challenge. But look at the outside of these turns. If you can open them up, and, and when I say open them up, I don't mean taking the walls away and putting down asphalt, a la Paul Ricard. But if you can open them up and take the walls away or push the walls back a bit and make it gravel, or make it grass, or something else that is going to penalize a driver for having to go off the track without, oh, killing the driver and causing a bigger incident behind them, I think it would improve the safety of the track. I I, I would agree, but that's also a common request that we have in most tracks, um, Paul Ricard being a big one, but we want the if you go off the off the racetrack if you exceed track limits you should have some sort of penalty physical penalty not mm-hmm. a steward imposed penalty mm-hmm. but you should that should be something you don't want to do because it will slow you down there should be no possible chance for you to leave the track and gain an advantage yes full stop unfortunately saudi arabia took that that edict and said if you leave the track you are going into a wall Mm -hmm. and that's probably well okay maybe that's on brand with saudi arabia i mean they they are known for being a little extreme well let's also remember what this track has essentially been built on i don't know what that road that it's that it's on because again street track that road that it's on is going to be part of an expressway. Oh. And now all of a sudden, that design makes total sense. That's why it's skinny, and that's why it's got all these flowing curves, and that's why, because the plan is that this is going to be an expressway. I really it's not finished yet, but it's going to be an expressway. I really hope they take the walls down so that people don't go into the walls. <laughs> Well, yeah, they are. Well, they'll have the shoulder. But again, keep in mind, expressway, the speeds are going to be a bit slow. Well, they'll be a little bit slower, but, you know, Formula One cars, I think, are slightly narrower than our sedan. Well, it depends on if it's going to be three lanes or four and all of that. But, yeah, that road is an unfinished, that racetrack is an unfinished expressway. Okay. Um yeah. Can Herman Tilke please stop designing racetracks? Please? The thing is, well, there's a lot of things here. One, I'm not entirely sure that this is Herman Tilke's fault. It's, it is partially his fault, and he could have influenced this a lot better. And yes, I know he sp- spoke to Martin Brundle, and there was, I heard safety said a couple times, but 90% of what Herman said, I, I, I didn't understand it. There so. were words I... I heard safety. They made no sense. But the other problem around this track, and this event in particular, 
is we went from announcement of this event to the holding of this event in what a year and a half Mm -hmm. this track was designed and put in place at lightning speed i mean even mexico city which had a track already that was what two years before that from, from announcement to when that first race happened it was like two years and here we were less than a year and a half this was done way too fast but wait let's think for a second is there any new track that's coming in the next year's calendar that might not have had a very large on-ramping process and might also be done in a parking lot okay, and has so the potential of really being a bad race. Has it, it has all of that except for one thing. It's not on an expressway that it will look like it's in a canyon. Well, I, I wasn't even go there. The design of that track, they, they figured that out two, two and a half years ago. They didn't get approval to hold the race until about a year ago to start building it. But the design of that track, they needed to have that design mostly done before they could bring it to Miami Garden so that they could shoot it down the first time. So keep that in mind. At least those plans existed for longer. Actually, those plans existed in a conceptual state for longer than it took to go from when this race was announced to when they actually held it. Doesn't mean Miami's going to be a good race. I still in a parking lot. I still tell you that I'm. But we're going to have this conversation. I'm going to write it down that when Miami is a crappy race, I'm going to say they rushed to the design. See, Miami's going to be a crappy race because they're holding it in a parking lot in Florida where it's going to be completely flat. Not because they rushed the design. It's just because they chose a crappy place to hold the race. <laughs> Keep in mind, do not forget that when Miami was originally proposed... It's going to be downtown, and that layout looks stupid also. That was a stupid layout also, but it was going to be... You know, it was around being in that Miami Beach area. Dumb design. No, it was downtown Miami. It wasn't going to be on the beach, at Miami Beach. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was... Uh, it was going to be by Bayside. Bayside and Bayside. O- over to Dodge Island across the bridge. Right. It was a crappy design. Mm-hmm. But when that got shot down, they pivoted awfully fast to Pro Robbie Stadium. Yeah. And that's where I'm telling you it, the design got rushed. Somebody put a piece of paper, you know, tracing paper over some streets and went, yeah, that looks like a track. Tilkey signed that and move on with their lives. Well, that's what that's what they did with the original Bayside race, too. I mean, they were both pretty craptastic. Yeah. All righty. Any more controversies? Um... Yeah, actually, we do. (laughs) So, we have gotten word that Formula One has compiled the race and is, or compiled the list and is bringing to the teams the proposed list of six races or six venues to hold sprint races at for 2023. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to call. We're not supposed to call them races. 
sprints. Qualif- sprint qualifying, isn't it? I don't even know if they're supposed to be calling them qualifying. Because, no, qualifying is Friday for the, the sprint. sprint. Which sets the grid for the, the race. race. Oh, I hate this thing. Is this for 2022 or 23? Um, or 2022. I'm sorry. You're right. Okay. All right. First, apparently Formula One cannot read their own polls. We knew that. We mocked them for that two shows ago. Well, I'm going to mock them again. 7%. <coughs> I can't even say it. It's that bad. 7% of people <coughs> actually like this format. Mm-hmm. It's 93% of people dislike it. <clears throat> and and so we're going to double the number of races? Well, what what's interesting here is Formula One showed that they both learned from the experience of the first three races and didn't learn from the experience of the last experience of the last three races. What did they learn from the experience of the last three sprint races? So I think they learned and what we saw is that when the sprints happen on tracks where passing is possible, like in Brazil, they're not half bad and the race that follows them isn't half bad. Okay. But when they happen on tracks where no passing is possible, the sprints kind of suck and seem pointless and the races that follow them suck or or less than exciting. But wouldn't they have been less than exciting in the first place because they were not past possible? True, but the sprints don't make them any better. Exactly. So what they're proposing, we're going to have a sprint in Bahrain, which traditionally has not been a great race. However, it was that one year. That one year. (laughs) That one year. 2014, the duel in the desert. When Stefano Domenicali refused to show up at the race because he said Formula One had become like taxi driving. You remember Stefano Domenicali. He's the guy who runs Formula One now. Yeah. Anyway, so. It was their one glory year. It was such a great race, though. Sprint race. Well, actually, when we went to the the Oval, that wasn't a bad race either. Uh, yeah. On the outer, the, at Bahrain, which we'll never go back to. Well, but that was a pretty good race. Yeah. Oval. What? Ovoid? Yeah. Oval-esque? Ro- no, it wasn't really a Roval. That's like Indianapolis is a Roval. Anyway. Um, so, sprint number one will be at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Sprint number two. Assu- your, your favorite Grand Prix. Assuming it will get this name. We don't know. But the Emilia Romana Grand Prix. That right? is your favorite. Well, no. It's the uh, Emilia Romana Made in Italy Grand Premio d'Italia. <laughs> That's your favorite. That's it. <laughs> but we don't know if it's going to... Right now it is just the Emilia Romana Grand Prix in Emily. Um That's its sync name. Yeah. Sprint number three is proposed for the Canadian Grand Prix. If they actually have it. Sprint number four is proposed for the Austrian Grand Prix. 
That I think is a bad idea. Sprint number five is being proposed for Zanvoort. Again, from a race perspective, I think this is a terrible idea. However, Mm -hmm. and I think this is why they're doing it in Zanvoort. This is for the Dutch fans. Yeah. For more racing and more stuff happening on the track for the Dutch fans to absolutely lose their crap at. They really need to stop the flares, though. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't see it happening. I need to crack down on that, really. Um, so, Zanvoort will get number five, and number six is proposed for the Brazilian Grand Prix. Probably the only one that actually should have one. Yeah. I mean, well, it was good. Canada, Canada could be a possibility as well. I could, but we haven't raced in Canada for two years, so... Yeah, but Canada has two opportunities for passing. Two. <laughs> so does Brazil. Brazil really only has two opportunities also. But they tend to have passing in those locations. Now, was Brazil's sprint race better because people were out of position? I don't know. I mean... I don't know. I just throw it out there as... But, but if that's the case, and you're saying that it was better because people were out of position you might have to rethink your opinion about something else. And I'm not going to say what it is. I know what Controversy. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, and I will not until you're he the one retires. Brought, you're the one. Oh, that's all it is? <laughs> it's only a matter of because Lewis is still driving that you think it's a bad idea? If, if The it, truth comes out. If it hampers my guy's bid for his eighth world title, then yes, it is bad. Oh, so it's only a matter of the eighth world title. Well, and if he drives again, he should get the, the nine. Because, because my, my question becomes, okay, so Lewis retires. Uh-huh. And now it's Lando and George who are fighting for the for the championship. And we have a sprint race. And they do reverse grids. And Lando and George are at the back. Are you going to be okay with that? I don't know. See, that's why I'm questioning this. I don't know. If it allows Max Verstappen to, you know, move up, then I will not be happy about it. Because at some point, Lewis will retire and I will be a George fan. I'll be a Lando fan. But I will always be an anti-Max fan. Yeah, I think that's pretty much guaranteed, especially after the comments of this weekend. So that's not contra- controversial at this point. So any th- I will oppose anything that gives Max any sort of advantage. Now, I will be all for reverse grids when Max is sitting at the back and Lewis is retired and it doesn't hurt him. Oh, did I just pull a Red Bull? No, because you didn't say that being unfairly picked on and everybody else gets away with stuff and we don't get away with anything. And Oh, but no, I, I just want to think about my people f- first and they should get the advantages. Mm. That's my pulling a Red Bull. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 
Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.